Hello, Pilgrim Church. I hope you're having a wonderful gathering so far this morning. I'm sad that I'm not with you as we continue on in our series, Lean In, where we are focusing on what it means to lean into the preacher on the mount as Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We've been in the first part, the Beatitudes, and we've been jumping around a little bit. And this morning, we are uh, very privileged to have with us uh, a friend of mine as a guest who's going to be coming and teaching us from this passage about being merciful. Uh, Mariah is a friend of mine that I've met through my involvement in the Canadian Church Leaders Network. And anytime I've connected with her and engaged with her, it's been a real gift and a treat for me. She's been uh, teaching and preaching at some different churches around the Lower Mainland. And I'm so grateful that she's decided to come and spend her morning with us here today at Pilgrim. So why don't you join me as we give Mariah a nice warm welcome as she comes on up to teach. Good morning, everybody. It's so great to be here with you all. Uh, like Ryan said, my name is Mariah, and I met him through the Canadian Church Leaders Network. The Canadian Church Leaders Network is an organization that's connected with my church, The Way Church. Uh, so my husband and I attend The Way Church downtown uh, Vancouver. We help lead Alpha together. If you've heard of Alpha before, we just wrapped up our fall semester. And it's been incredible to see how God is moving in Vancouver. I think often we hear like, oh, this, this city is like a post-Christian city. And I think in a lot of ways that's true. But God is still moving and his spirit is still alive and well here. So I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. And I might be able to come to the potluck after. I've heard it's pretty legendary. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but like I said, my name is Mariah, and I'm here to tell you today that I deserve nothing. I don't deserve my husband or my apartment or the food I ate this morning. And when you hear that, you might immediately think, no, Mariah, what are you talking about? You haven't done anything wrong. You deserve, you deserve your life. And the language, when I say I deserve nothing, might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. But it's true. I deserve nothing. And I'm here to tell you today why that is the most beautiful and transformative truth that I have ever come to grips with. So before we dive in, I'd love to pray together. God, we sit before you in your church today, acknowledging, Jesus, your holiness, your sovereignty, your mercy and compassion for us. Lord, help us to come under your word today, soften our hearts to absorb the truth, to understand the depths to which you've forgiven us and how that can be so beautiful and healing for us. And I pray that that would help us live out in forgiveness towards others in our lives. We love you so much, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So today we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're highlighting the beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. So what does that mean? Um, the Beatitudes are characterized by Jesus repeating this word over and over again, blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. 
But what does he mean by this? Blessed comes from the Greek word makario, which means happy, blessed, or to be envied. And this word is a prolonged form of the word makar, meaning supremely blessed and by extension fortunate or well off. So the Beatitudes can be rewritten to sound kind of like this. Fortunate are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Well off are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be envied are the merciful. And when we translate it that way, it can start to kind of sound like an oxymoron. But if you've been following Jesus for a bit, you may have caught on to this theme and how he leads. It's often completely upside down from the way we think life is supposed to be lived. Like, have you ever felt envied when you've been merciful to someone? Or would you describe yourself as happy when you've forgiven someone who's caused you great pain? No, not at all. Those adjectives aren't the first that come to mind when you think of times you've shown mercy or forgave someone who didn't deserve it. Yet, this is how Jesus describes what we are when we're merciful. To help illustrate this beatitude today, we're going to dive into Matthew 18, specifically the parable of the unforgiving servant. So I'm going to read it through with you guys. It will be on the uh, screen behind me, and you can also pull out your Bibles. It's Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And I just want to kind of warn you, it's quite a few verses, so bear with me. We'll read together, and throughout my reading, I'm going to explain a few parts of the parable. So let's start. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And so in Judaism, the standard to forgive someone was actually three times. So Peter thought seven times was quite generous. The story continues. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So just to break here, this sounds harsh, but it actually wasn't in the context of the story. It was just the way forward in a situation. So similar to if one of us here robbed a bank, we'd probably go to jail. That's just what happens when you rob a bank. So it's similar to that. And one talent at the time was 20 years of work. So 20 years of work times 10,000 talents is 200,000 years of work, or $6 billion in today's time. So this is what this person owed. The story continues. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. But like I said, $6 billion, it was an impossible debt to pay, no matter how much time this guy had. And the suggestion to pay it back didn't make any sense at the time. So we continue, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. A hundred denarii equals $12,000 in today's term. So although it's a big sum of money, it is possible for this person to pay back. We continue. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. 
And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? This part here, Jesus is showing that God doesn't ignore our unforgiveness. And continues, and in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do we truly know Jesus if we can't forgive? Do we truly know Jesus if we can't forgive? This story, at the time Jesus told it, pushed against culture then, and it pushes against culture now. And I think it's because forgiveness just pushes against human nature. I don't know if anyone in this room has heard of cancel culture, but it's something that's really defining our society right now. And for those of you who don't know what that is, um, to cancel someone means to dismiss something or somebody, to reject an individual or an idea. So people can be canceled for many different reasons. It could be a political stance maybe they hold or something they posted on social media a long time ago that now isn't as appropriate or a moment of ignorance or an unpopular belief that they made public. But canceling people closes the door of your heart to forgiveness. Canceling breeds bitterness and it's something that's defining our culture today. And at the time Jesus told this story, the Jews also had a really limited view of forgiveness. Like I said earlier, when I was reading the passage, when Peter asked Jesus if seven times is enough to forgive someone, he knows in the back of his mind that in Judaism, the standard amount was three times. So Peter's offer seems actually quite generous. It's more than double what was expected of him. But this is what Jesus does. He challenges long-standing traditions, rules, and cultural norms. He was doing it 2,000 years ago, and he's still doing it today. The first point I want to walk us through is that forgiveness cannot be earned. We can't earn God's forgiveness. We can't earn others' forgiveness. And others cannot earn our forgiveness. I think a question that might have been hidden under Peter's question to Jesus is, Lord, how many times does this person deserve my forgiveness? Peter asks his question as if forgiveness is some sort of currency to be exchanged, not a reality to be lived out. And Jesus responds 77 times, kind of an odd number. So does that mean when we get to number 78 that this person has wronged me, all of a sudden I stop forgiving them? But that's not what Jesus means. What Jesus means here is not that we should literally forgive someone 77 times. Jesus is saying here that there's no point in keeping count. Forgiveness isn't a numbers game. It's good invading evil. It's spiritual warfare. One commentator says that nothing but the blood of Christ will balance the account. So there's no point in talking numbers when our debt is that major. God could have left us a long time ago, and sometimes I wonder why he didn't. The account wasn't balanced. We owed way too much to pay it back, even more than the servant in the story. Once Adam and Eve ate the fruit, 
one, the one very thing God asked them not to do, he could have just left us and not dealt with the mess of humanity. But in his great compassion, he leaned in to the mess. He fought to draw us back to him. He drew Israel out of slavery and brought them to the promised land undeserved. He sent prophet after prophet to give words of love, encouragement, and warning undeserved. He sent his son to be a living and perfect final sacrifice for our sins so that nothing could get in between us and him undeserved. God has showed us throughout history that he is a God of grace and mercy, holding back what we do deserve and giving us what we don't. He's consistently showed us that forgiveness is not about numbers. It's not give and take. A friend and I at one time were talking, um, and her and her mom kind of have a, a difficult relationship. And I could tell my friend was still harboring quite a bit of bitterness towards her mom by the way she'd talk about her or just in times she'd reflect on her. And I asked her, have you forgiven your mom? And she responded, I'll forgive her when I start to see some improvement in her behavior. And in that moment, I realized my friend's forgiveness was actually controlled by the actions of her mom. She felt that her mom needed to earn her forgiveness. But Jesus wants to teach us in this parable that there is freedom in forgiveness because it's not something to be earned. It's not something that's dependent on someone else. It's not something that's limited to a box. Jesus actually blew up that box with his death and resurrection, and he empowers us with his Holy Spirit to give, to forgive the smallest slights against us to the depths of hurt and betrayal that we can experience. The next point I want to talk about is that forgiveness is evidence of our salvation. And something I want to make clear before we get into this point is that forgiveness of other humans is not a prerequisite to receiving God's forgiveness. We don't need to have completely forgiven all hurts against us before engaging with a relationship with Jesus. Thankfully, Jesus is pretty patient with us. But forgiveness, it, forgiveness or lack thereof provides clarity as to where our relationship with God is, and it sheds light on our understanding of what God did for us. My husband Daniel and I would love to have children one day. We don't have any yet. And we are really excited for that day comes. But when I become a mom, my life will look pretty different than it looks right now. I'll probably get less sleep. I'll probably have to make more food. Maybe I'll take a bit of time off of work. Um, but my whole focus will shift and it will shift to loving and caring this little human that we brought into the world. And these changes in my life are all evidences of me becoming a mom. Similarly, our ability to forgive others is evidence of our relationship with God. We see how ridiculous it is when the servant is set free only to do to someone else what he deserved. And this is exactly what we'll look like if God's forgiveness isn't rooted in our hearts. A few chapters earlier in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. We actually read a bit of the Lord's Prayer earlier in this service. And after Jesus says the Lord's Prayer, 
he doubles down on forgiveness. In Matthew 6, 14 to 15, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And there's a reason why Jesus chooses to focus on this one petition compared to all the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer. A commentator writes that most of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer had been commonly used by the Jews in their devotions, or words to the same effect. But that clause in the fifth petition, as we forgive our debtors, was perfectly new. God, in forgiving us, has a peculiar respect to our forgiving those who have injured us. And therefore, when we pray for pardon, we must mention our making conscious of that duty, not only to remind ourselves of it, but to bind ourselves to it. So we see that Jesus particularly cares about our forgiveness of others. And when we live in that freedom offered through his forgiveness, we should have the ability to forgive others. The last point I want to touch on today is that forgiveness is hard. And if you've forgiven someone in this room, you've experienced that. We can feel our souls push against the act of forgiveness. And when we feel that, it helps us to realize the depths of what Jesus has done for us. We often wait around to feel like forgiving someone before we do it. But as humans, I believe we, need, we don't feel our way into right acting. We actually need to act our way into right feeling. In September 2018... A police officer named Amber Geiger came home after a long shift. She was tired and she didn't realize that she was actually on the wrong floor when she entered her condo. So when she opened the door into her condo and she saw a man sitting in what she thought was her condo, she was pretty disturbed and scared. Since she was a police officer, she had a gun. And she ended up shooting and killing the man in what she thought was her apartment. That man's name was Botham Jean, and he was killed at 26 years old in his own home because she didn't realize she wasn't in her own home. And you might have heard this story before. It was really popular in the news when it happened. But what happened to Botham was tragic. The mistake of Amber Geiger seems unforgivable. How could you mistake someone else's apartment for yours? Wouldn't you really?